What's up, y'all? I'm bringing the juice today, as our guest Zach Segay would say. Yes, that pun was intended. I love bringing people on this podcast who fill the world with positive energy and leave you feeling like you can do anything you set your mind to. Zach is that person here in the ATX, so strap in and get ready to hear how he used the traumatic events in his life as energy to positively impact others and serve our community. It will have you wanting to change the world in your own special way. So without further ado, let's hear it for Zach. What's up, y'all? I'm bringing the juice today with one of my favorite people here in Austin, Texas, Mr. Zach Segay. How are you doing today, Zach? Doing doing beautiful. Thank you for having me. I love the energy that you're bringing in today. We were having a... uh, group meeting going on in here before this podcast and Zach comes in and he's a, if you don't know him, uh, you should. He's a ball of energy and a bright light in this world. And as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, we kind of just get right into it and throw a hook. And I want to know, this man walked 34 miles last week and we were discussing how his feet were all banged up, but tell the audience why you actually walked 34 miles. Well, it has become somewhat of a tradition. So last year, I ran 33 miles for my birthday. This year, I decided I wanted to do a a fundraiser to go with it. So I met this man named Anthony Evans. He was shot with a rubber bullet. He was peacefully protesting. Uh, I got shot in his face, fractured his jaw. His jaw's wired shut. So I knew I I wanted to raise money to, to help him with his medical fund. So I reached out to him. Had a great chat. I was really inspired by his spirit and just how he handled such a traumatic event was just incredible. So yeah, set out 34 miles, June 28th, started at eight in the morning, took about eight hours and 16 minutes, few purple toes later and some soreness, but all in all, it was worth it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And anybody that uh, obviously is living in this time and understands what's going on in our society, that was such a powerful thing to see you do that out of the kindness of your heart. And on any day, that's a tremendous feat. And then for you to do it on your birthday, and you mentioned that it's becoming somewhat of a tradition. So (laughs) what did you do prior to that? What were you doing in the previous years? I didn't have, I didn't have a tradition like that. So the, the way it came to fruition, someone mentioned that they had heard someone run 26 miles on their 26th birthday. Last year, when I turned 33, I just got the terrible idea to run 33 miles and I had no training. Like the furthest I'd ever ran was five miles. I'm a sprinter. I played basketball, football, like we don't do long distance. But I had just read David Goggins' book, Can't Hurt Me, and and I was inspired, you know? I, I said, why not? What's the, what's the best thing that could happen? I finish. And uh, it was a really beautiful, beautiful experience. And I really think that, I think every human should run a long distance like that, a marathon plus distance, because it teaches you so much about yourself. You know, last year when I did 33 miles, it was around a track. So it was the most boring, (laughs) it was the most boring, it was hot as hell. It was like 95 degrees and I'm running around a track. It was 132 laps by myself, I went on a mental journey, just reliving my childhood, reliving all the challenges, uh, just coaching myself through it, you know, just, all right, just one more step. Let's just get to this line. Let's just get to that. And when you get through something like that, 
that's fuel for future endeavors. That's fuel for future challenges. So when 34 miles came up this year, I did have knee surgery in February. And my, I did check with my doctor to see if I could walk it. They wouldn't let me run it. Um, I knew I could do it. That's awesome. And for anybody listening, this is a great kind of case study where sharpening the ax. You had already sharpened the ax in prior years so that when we have the climate that we have right now where with police brutality and then everything happening with Black Lives Matter, you were able to use the axe that you had sharpened for for social good. Um, so again, it was it was really cool to see and I just want to applaud you for that um, because obviously someone someone's life was greatly impacted and you were able to to help him with that through something that you had done and sharpen yourself prior. How much money did he end up raising? Do you know? All in all, I, I want to say over 40,000 because he'd already, the fundraiser had already started yeah. when I found out. But after I got involved, I want to say we raised six to $7,000. So that's amazing. But honestly, beyond the money, it was the community support. So when we went to do the walk, Anthony was there with us, you know, so he was walking with us. Um, but the amount of people that showed up and, and he had a, he had his mouth shut. His mouth is wired. He's yeah. crazy. Yeah. He's, he's crazy. Cause he, he has his mouth wired shut and he's still there walking his ass off. But the amount of love and the support that he felt from everyone that showed up, everyone that sent him love on social media, that's the real power in that. And that's, I want to give a huge shout out to all the people that helped set that up. Aubrey Miller, Jesus Ruiz, you guys are champs. They helped me kind of set up and run the event and it was beautiful. So that's amazing. And I'd love to, obviously, because you are part African-American, you were just talking how Abraham, one of our, our friends is in, in the space right now at Thrive HQ and he's from the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivory. I think I'm saying that right. Cote d'Ivoire. Um, Cote d'Ivoire, yeah. <laughs> Ivory Coast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's always, you said it much better than me. I'm but here for you. I'm here you, for you. Yeah. You mentioned uh, you're Nigerian and I'd love to know a little bit about your background, like how you got to Austin, Texas. And obviously this is a not the most diverse place is what I would say. Um, unfortunately, it's one of the things I noticed from coming from the East Coast. But were you born and raised here in Austin? No. So I was born in Los Angeles. I was born okay. in Inglewood. Uh, I grew up there for a few years. I lived in England for nine months. That's an interesting fact about me. When I was five years old, my parents were kind of going through some tough times. So I went to live with my aunt and uncle in England. Uh, came back and then grew up in Orange County. So just south of LA. Graduated high school in Irvine, California, went to UC Davis and played football there, and then lived in San Francisco for six years. After San Francisco, came out to Austin. What? So what actually brought you from San Francisco to Austin? Woo, okay, okay, <laughs> let's dive in. Yeah, so Zach, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a prelude to this. Zach has a really cool story. So there's so many ways that I, I want to go with this combo, and that's the trouble when you bring on guests of your magnitude where it's like you have so many stories to tell. Um, but one of them that I would love to share with the audience is just you continuously overcoming different challenges in your life. Some of those challenges put on you, some of those challenges you put on yourself. So to give you a more dialed-in question, what was the reason that you came to Austin but then also the struggles that you might have endured in your life, feel free to elaborate on them because I would love for the audience to hear them and how you've overcome them. Yeah, so the, the main reason, or I'd say the reason that I came to Austin, I had 
become a general manager of an awesome restaurant in San Francisco. The only reason I was doing that was to impress other people. I, inside, I was struggling. Um, I was battling alcoholism, drug addiction. My whole life was about impressing other people. It was about putting this facade out there so that they would, they would see me in a certain light. And that's all that I cared about. I didn't care about what was going on inside. It wasn't that I didn't care. It was that I didn't know what to do. I didn't feel like I could ask someone for help. I felt that if I asked someone for help, I would be burdening them or I would be bringing shame to my family or my parents would be embarrassed, you know, like, what's wrong with this guy? Uh, so when I moved to Austin, I had reached a point. I was a general manager, and I just felt like everything is going to crumble. I'm so close to just completely ruining everything. So I made a decision to step down from the restaurant, and I came out here to Austin. My mom has lived out here for 20 five years and my older brother for 27 years. So I was already very familiar with Austin and it made sense. So took the leap to come out here. I got sober for a little bit. What caused that first uh, sober instance? Because my life was just, my life was just really bad. Define bad for anybody. Uh, very lonely, uh, stuck in my head drinking every night, doing drugs every night by myself, but then showing up to the world as this like super happy, positive guy. You know, there was no balance to my life. I felt like I was an actor in my life. I think there's always going to be a split between your public and your private persona, but the further that they're split, I think the, the more pain there is. So I was, in, I was in a lot of pain. So you're in somewhat denial of who you truly want to be and who you are because when you go home you're conflicted. And so in that first instance, run us through like what's going through your head where it's just like, okay, you're, you're in a bad spot. Do you remember that time where you're like, you tried to get sober? Like, what was that like? Well, the first time I got sober, it was kind of a half-assed attempt. So when I moved from San Francisco to Austin, nobody knew about my struggles. I had roommates at the time. Nobody knew what I was doing. I was very, very, obsessed and good at keeping it all under wraps. So this, I had a completely secret life that I was living and this, this, all this pain that I was harboring and sadness and frustration that I was harboring. So when I moved out here, I told my mom and my brother, you know, I'm, I'm just a little depressed and burnt out from being a restaurant manager, which was a bullshit story. That's like literally the tip <laughs> of the iceberg, you know, it was not the truth. So Came out here, got sober for a little bit, got a car, got, got a job. I became a, a restaurant manager out here. Things started going good. Got a girlfriend. And then uh, I tore my ACL for the first time. So in hindsight, what I realized- and when was this? Just so people have reference. This would have been in 2016. I have, okay, I'll so have four, four years, years sobriety this, this November. Uh, so when my knee, when I tore my ACL again, I was a man that didn't talk about things, didn't really learn a tool set to handle adversity. So what did I do? I started drinking again. That culminated in me getting my first DWI. That wasn't the end though. I stopped drinking for some time. Same cycle. I start getting things back, but there's this feeling in me, this, this stubborn feeling that I can, I can drink normally or I can be normal. I can, be, I can try to be something else 
that I'm that I'm not. And uh, it wasn't until I got my second DWI that I just realized like this is not working. I need help. So that that was it was like an instant moment. I knew okay, I'm I'm done trying to do this on my own. I need support and I need help from people and I need to I need to be real. And I think like as a man, like I can empathize with we're not given the tools to like speak up and talk about our feelings. Like I know in my household, like crying just wasn't a thing. No, like it's just like me. crying and talking about your emotions. It was completely logic driven. Um, and it's no fault because like the way that humans are like my dad did better than his dad did. And I'm going to do better than my dad did. Like that's human nature to just progressively get better and view like the faults around you and try to be better than that. So I don't hold any faults on my parents. But one of the things that did lack was just like the emotional intelligence side of being a man and being okay with breaking down or showing pain and things like that. So what were some of the things that were, you think were causing all that pain to drink and do drugs in the first place? Because I think a lot of people out there, including myself, like I never really considered myself an alcoholic because I thought an alcoholic was someone that drinks every day. But then I started realizing like, if I think back, like in college, I was drinking a handle a weekend, like a fifth a weekend. And then I would drink Tuesdays and Thursdays. And because I was functioning, I thought I'm not, I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, but like most people like that, they're alcoholics. Like every weekend I'm just like, how do I, I'm going to spend 40 bucks on this or 50 bucks on the bar or these things. And I was just hiding something where I just wasn't where I wanted to be. So I would just be a sheep and follow what everybody else is doing. But that underlying pain, I think that's where everyone else is still at. A lot of people our age are still there because I don't think they can identify with that underlying pain. I knew what mine was, but I'd love to hear yours. Well, I think it's, I think it's a lot of things, you know, I think the biggest thing I had a tough childhood growing up. So I think when I was very young, I learned the strategy of being super happy and positive to, to keep people at bay. So, so there was just no conflict. Is it because you didn't like conflict? I didn't like conflict. So I would do my best to just be super positive and happy. Um, that was my solution. So when you apply that solution into adult life, that's, you're not solving anything. You're just putting it away in a closet. And so you take a lifetime of doing that. You got a big old pile of shit. And that's, that's kind of what happened. I think in high school, I'd say everyone around me drank aberrantly. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't out of place. College, same thing. Then you, you get into the real world, you, you know, you become an adult. I started off as a, I was an intern for a sports agent, for an NFL sports agent. That was my original trajectory. And then I faced a couple major traumas in my first year in San Francisco. And I've, I've just been kind of remembering this and being like, okay, that, I want to say it explains it, but it kind of puts in perspective, okay, that's, that's a major trauma that was never dealt with. So um, I was a victim of police brutality in my first year in San Francisco. Um, do you want Can, to yeah, go into run, that story? Run, run through this because, again, uh, like for me, this is yeah. something that I think I come from the East Coast and New Jersey is like 
way much more a, a melting pot than Austin, Texas would be. Yeah. Um, and even my school, like I would see some of the things going on and I had lived like when I went to college, I lived with Muslim kids, friends from Lebanon, Pakistan. And then even now, like at Thrive, we surround ourselves with, I was, I was happy to come in here today and see, I was like, this is a very diverse group. Yeah. This that's, is, this is beautiful. That's what I grew up. Like my parents, like that's what instilled that in me. And this whole time going on, like, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Like when the whole black lives matter movement really started up again, I didn't know what to do because I felt shame. And that is something that is kind of like the first time that that happened in my life. And that's what I feel like African-Americans and people of color have, they feel shame on an everyday thing because it's just like why am I getting in trouble just for my skin color or why is this happening to me just because of this and that was an eye-opening thing for me and then I like take a step back of like even though that I try to like be inclusive and I just love people like it doesn't doesn't matter I can do more yeah and the way that I can do more is speaking out against it and uh, learning laws and policies and things that I just was so naive to even think. And then at first I was really hard on myself, but taking a step back, I was like, I just didn't, I didn't know I'm living, I'm trying to make ends meet and like get my dream alive and be inclusive to everybody around me. Yeah. Uh, so once I took a step back, I was like, okay, now the future looks like I'm approaching 30. I need to learn public policy. And if I'm going to run a company, like how do we become more diverse? And like, what does that look like? And kind of know the game before I get there. So that's kind of how I've been approaching it. But I would love to hear it from a first person perspective of you telling your story, because this is just not something that someone white like me, the only way you can empathize and sympathize is to look someone in the face and be like, how have you been treated? And then I can think, wow, that would fucking suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, thank you for saying that. I think right now I'm feeling a lot more hopeful than when, when it first came to fruition or when George Floyd was killed is awareness. And now we're, we're having these conversations. That's, that's the first step. You know, and it's it's got to continue into into eternity. Uh, so what happened to me? I had just gone off work. I was going on a date with a former 49ers cheerleader. I was so fired. <laughs> I was so fired up. It was our first date. I had met her one night, got her number, and we were, we were going on our first date. So I go after work, go meet up with her, having this awesome date. Uh, halfway through the date. I went out to smoke a cigarette. Don't smoke cigarettes. They're bad. I don't smoke anymore. But I saw a police officer being very violent with another man, kind of slamming his head down on the car. And so I, I went up. I didn't, like, impose myself in the situation. I said, is that necessary? And he said, what did you say? And I said, officer, is that necessary? And he said, step over here. And I got arrested. I was like, what, why am I being arrested? And he said, interfering with an investigation. So they drove me around in a van with a bunch of other people. I was not drunk. I had one drink at that point. I get to the jail. We're in a communal cell. There's like eight other men in the cell. And there was a wall, like a little small partition wall that blocked off the toilet. And I sat up on the wall. Some officers came in. They said, get down. Four hours later, I'm just 
bored out of my mind. I sat up on that wall again, and six officers rush in. I jumped down from the wall. I put my hands on my head. I said, I'm not resisting. I'm not resisting. Please don't hurt me. Punch me in my face. They start kicking me, punching me. They pulled my earrings out. I had like fake diamond earrings. Ripped my clothes off. I was completely naked. They asked me if I felt like a man. And of course, I was fighting back at that point because when six men are kicking your ass, you're going to fight back. But they then put me into one of those psych cells. Basically, it's like a padded cell with a grate in the middle and just completely naked. And they wouldn't let me leave until I interviewed with a psychologist to make sure that I wasn't a threat to hurt myself or others. And I sat down with the psychologist. First off, I was like, you, you realize I have a degree in psychology from UC Davis and you're sitting here interviewing me after I just got my ass kicked Wow. and asking me these questions like, are you going to charge me with something or are you going to let me go? I didn't get charged with anything. I do regret not trying to follow up more uh, to... How old were you? I was, I must have been 22, 23. Yeah, no, 22 because four years in college. And uh, there's no cameras in the cells, so it's their word against mine. So I kind of just dropped it. But looking back, I, I don't think I ever processed that. I, was, I just wrote a poem about it, and I, I shared it on Instagram. And uh, I told my dad about it recently. He's like, you never told me that. It's like, why wouldn't I tell my own father about an experience like that? Um, but that was just how I dealt with things. You know, so that's, I mean, that's a major, major trauma. Because you start, is is part of you like getting up in your own head and being like, and this is what I thought is just like, what they're trying to do to you is make you believe that you are in the wrong when you're not in the wrong. And they're trying to make you feel like you're lesser so that you just feel like it. And that's what was eye opening to me is like, it's crazy to me because you start seeing like, that is the intention. This has to stop like we cannot keep doing this we're all humans yeah, like this is somebody with a heart story. lungs like it's the same thing and like that's the other thing it's just one it's one story how many people per day go in there and they do the same thing too but that you i mean you kind of touched on it the when someone when a group of people treats you like that it's hard not to see yourself like that and i think that i really internalized that i think i deeply internalized that as you know like i'm a I'm a piece of shit, you know, and if, if, if those are the sort of things that I'm telling myself, if I'm not showing myself love, the behaviors that are going to follow are going to be behaviors that, that don't look like someone who loves themselves. It's going to be drugs. It's going to be alcohol in copious amounts. Um, because if the world is telling you that, that's how you, especially at 22, yeah. like we're so impressionable when we're younger because we're just starting to make our own money and do our own thing. And we don't know what is right or what is wrong. And and this is another thing that it, it caused was psychologically, you stood up for someone else and stuck your neck out. And that's what happens when they you stick your neck out. I got slammed you got down. shot down. Yeah. And that's, again, something that white people don't understand because if I had said something to this guy, it wouldn't have happened the same way. Yeah. So I don't have that fear to stick up for other people because I haven't been brutally beaten or torn down like that. And that's what people need to understand. That's where white people don't understand. Like the majority can't see that because I'm 
very blessed where I grew up, even though I'm never moving back to New Jersey. Sorry, mom and dad and friends. Yeah. But I was very blessed to kind of like grow up in this small little town where I saw both sides of things. And the naivety of me was that I was like, I think everybody thinks like me and has seen the wor- seen it. But then I started doing research after this and start realizing, well, like, I mean, it's America's 70% white. So, and then I started being like, well, if America's 70% white, how do we find common ground where they're just not, they don't see that experience. You like, can't get it. You can't get yeah, it. You right? can't get it. It's, it's, if it it's happens to you, you understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's where for me, I'm like, wow, like, how do I fight against that? And backtracking, it's like, okay, well, for me, I was talking to Fias, one of our other friends here in Austin, who hires police chiefs? Who hires mayors? Like, how do they get voted in? And like, I trace that back to it's money. Who who puts the money towards certain people? So I'm a ex systems engineer. I do systems and business. Yeah. Now I'm trying to figure out systems of equality, mm-hmm. and how do we make it so that like what happened to you doesn't happen to anybody? Like it should happen to no human. It's like if anybody argues that, like get the hell out of America because yeah. that's not what America stands. It's for. my it's my right to question the officer. Yes. I, I would understand if I had like grabbed him or something, but it's my right to question him. Yeah. It's in the Declaration of I Independence. Didn't cuss at Freedom him, of yeah. speech. All I said <laughs> is that necessary. You yeah. Know? That, and then that, that's just, I'm from the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry that you've had to go through that and any other instances. Yeah. Um, but it was really powerful. I saw you at that protest here and to see you on the front lines doing that, that was really powerful for me because you could tell the passion and how it's been yeah well how it impacted you yeah you saw that video i didn't i went to the protest i wasn't planning on wasn't planning on doing anything to be honest i just wanted to be there to experience and protest peacefully and then there there was a moment where i was face to face with an officer on i-35 and i just that that wound i'm still dealing with that today you know that's still something that i need to reconcile and i told him my story very, very passionately. I'm not, I'm not a person that yells, but it was the emotion that came out in that moment. And uh, I shared with him what happened and how it made me feel. And I asked him to do better. And I, I mean, I instantly broke down crying. I mean, it was, it was a very, very emotional moment. Um, I, I don't want to blame my alcoholism or drug addiction on, on that exact moment that was just a, another thing in my life that I'd never it's compound done. interest. Exactly. We either have negative compound interest in our life or positive compound interest. And as soon as you get into building positive, and that's what I believe this, everything going on is meant to happen to us. Like life happens for us, not to us. It's up to us to reflect. And I think I'm very hopeful because I'm a believer in like procreation is what really creates change because if I'm starting to wake up and I can help other people wake up and we procreate and you keep programming, hey, this is not right. Hey, this is not right. Hey, this is not right. Life hopefully starts getting better and better and better. Um, Just like I was mentioning with parents, how parents deal with feelings compared to I love all our friends, especially all the males, because I've never been around a group of males that's just like, yeah, I'm fucking hurting or I'm feeling great or I'm this so open about what they're doing and their experiences, no matter what it entails, whether it's life, love, business, that is something that I want to put on other people and, yeah, and help other people strength. get to. That's yeah. real strength right that's there. That's courage. Yeah. That's what I would call that, like courage over comfort. And a lot of people have just, especially in the white community, choose comfort over courage. And I want to be 
like a spearhead. So again, thank you for coming on and sharing that story. I'd love to flip this into, okay, you, you had these struggles and you kind of hit this point where you get two DWIs. How did you get from that to where you're at right now? What was in your mind when you get that second, you get arrested, what were you thinking? Ooh, I was thinking my life is over. Um, I actually, I've seen the tape and that's what I was saying. I kept saying, you know, my life is over. I kept telling the officer, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry for wasting your time. Uh, I'm a terrible, I'm a terrible person. So in reality, yes, my, that chapter of my life was over. That part of me had died um, because a few, a few weeks later I went to rehab and I had so much fire. I had so much energy to just learn, to, to relearn everything and just accept direction from people, to ask questions, to just take, take it all in. I read like seven or eight books when I was in rehab. I wrote every single day, day and night. Um, I talked transparently about what I had gone through and what I was going through and what I was thinking. Uh, I did yoga, exercised. I had no cell phone, no internet contacts, and it was a game changer. It was an absolute game changer because, I mean, I hadn't read full books in, in such a long time because the narrative I was telling myself was that I wasn't worth it. I wasn't worthy of knowledge. So for the first time, you know, I, I had the blessing of having that time off the grid where I could do all these little actions, reading these books, taking in this knowledge, start to slowly build my self-esteem so when I come back out into the world, I can carry that momentum. And uh, I met an amazing man in, in rehab, uh, Shea Boland, who's, who's now my best friend. Uh, he was the first man that I was ever fully transparent with and, and shared everything. I told him everything, and he accepted me. He accepted me, he didn't judge me, and he treated me with love. And I think that was a really powerful moment when I realized, like, when I let all of that stuff out and I let it go because it allowed me to move forward. So I would say that's like the start. And then it's just been, it's just little small things, you know, just staying consistent with the trajectory, continuing to stay curious. I got my personal trainer certification, got certified to become a realtor. I just finished my yoga teacher certification this last week. Hell yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Uh, so it's just like continuing to just do the next thing. And that's, that's just what's been so cool is like just the amount of opportunity because I'm just, I'm just trying to move forward and just say yes. Like I had no plan to become a yoga teacher, but um, I experienced it in rehab and it was kind of an idea. And then I magically stumbled upon a program that the focus was social justice and being trauma-informed. It was just like, this is absolutely perfect for me, you know? So the plan is to bring yoga into underserved communities and honestly hope, help men, you know, like I would be helping myself when I was 19, 20 years old and I had no tools to handle adversity. That's amazing. And I love how you brought up yoga. Erin and I have been talking recently, even before this conversation, we were talking about her working on her business. And one day, hopefully we're both working on our own businesses. And one of our goals one day is to go overseas and do yoga training and just because we want to. And I love the word curiosity. And I think it's one of the things, so you're passionate, you're going to go help underserved. The way that I 
want to help underserved is education is I believe education is to, is the root of everything, whether it's the, the corrupt healthcare system, corrupt politics, corrupt um, social, con- corrupt education, where we have Harvard still charging 50K. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> for online courses, like it's absolutely insane. But it, it starts at like, if we can educate from a younger age and build up better human beings, well, by the time they get to 15, 18, 22, like they're already set up and had to have a better mentality. And you saw like, even before we hopped on, you were talking to Hamza here, him at 19, I'm just like, incredible. Man, it's incredible to <laughs> yeah. see that it's, but you start seeing like, how do I get more Hamza? Like, I'm just like, how do I surround myself with more Hamzas? Cause I know that he's going to go out and do the same thing when he's 29, he's going to be helping 19 year olds. And then the 19 year old he's with is going to go help 16 year olds and 12 year olds. And it's just going to be this cycle of people. So it really fires me up that you said the word curiosity and anybody that's listening. One of the things that in this convo with trauma and not being able to voice our feelings a lot of that is not being able to voice our feelings and wants of like what we want from life because as a male i felt like if i wanted to say i want to do yoga at 18 like how would your friends look at you yeah or even some of our friends now at our age like if you're like i'm gonna go to take a yoga class like how do people look at you yeah and that is really what needs to change in the human psyche it's this obsession with impressing others when i think the most important thing is to impress yourself you know, we're always, it's always like gold watch, <laughs> nice shoes. You do have a nice gold watch I, on I know, but it's, not, it's actually not that fancy. It just looks fancy. Um, but it's, it's always about what, how do other people see me instead of, see, how do you see How's yourself? How does it make you feel? Yeah, how do you, yeah. how do you see yourself, you know? And I think the, the emphasis of schooling, and you, you touched on it, I think starting to begin teaching the youth tools to handle adversity that is the one thing that every single person will face in their life there's no they don't teach you that in school there's no course on that i mean that should be that should be the the breadth of the work that should be the body of the work life is adversity yes like that's just you cannot escape it you cannot escape pain you cannot escape adversity every morning you wake up there's adversity because even the best minds and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of books. They yeah. all struggle. Every, every human mm-hmm. wakes up questioning things. You have an internal adversity every single day mm-hmm. and come to think of it, that brings up a great point. I've never, I never experienced K through 12 or in college, any class that talked about how to handle adversity. Nope. And then you get hyper masculine from sports, from sports. Yeah. Just and that's get what up. I, yeah. Just keep pushing. Play a great game, chug a bunch of beers afterwards. <laughs> Suppress even the good feelings because that's what we were doing. We won the game. We're excited. We should be recovering, yeah. probably hanging out, playing video games, and just discussing, like, what made us win? Let's How was that? Like, whatever. Out. Let's get blackout <laughs> and celebrate and then forget everything, right? Yeah. So that brings up an, an amazing point. And I'd love to kind of go into that a little bit. So you and met Shay mm-hmm. and... So you've already kind of been helping, I wouldn't say necessarily underserved, but more so an underserved space in free fitness. Mm-hmm. And I miss the ATX sprint squad. Yeah. But what are you envisioning? So I, I don't want to like get too far off topic, but the ATX sprint squad was a free thing that everybody showed up to on a Saturday. Shay started it. Zach helped them with. Mm-hmm. But what are you envisioning with the yoga side of things. So you're planning to help 
uh, underserved communities. How do you plan on like kind of spearheading that? So obviously COVID is introducing some challenges. My first, I say group that I would like to bring yoga to would be into recovery centers, to men's recovery centers. I'm still working on processing, but I would eventually like to bring it into penitentiaries, into jails. Uh, it's important as a yoga teacher that if I'm not healed from my trauma, I can't be bringing that shit to other people. So I don't feel comfortable at this point yet going into a jail and, and bringing yoga into that space until I've done that inner work. You know, I'm still aware of some feelings around that that I'm not quite there yet. But as far as rehab hey, centers... That's wisdom like, right there. Understanding where you're at and yeah. playing the long game. Mm -hmm. Power to that. Yeah, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. I know that it will happen. And, I mean, this is just the beginning. So, yeah, the goal is, is men's rehab centers. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, I am so inspired and, and just feeling like I need to go. There, there's some things in my life that I want to start getting into and getting involved. And I think I'm going to write them down after this. Yeah. Uh, Cause you just inspired that. Um, but let's get a little bit into what is it that you do on a daily basis? Um, so from your job and your hobbies, mm -hmm. um, what does that look like? What's a day in the life of Zach? A day in the life of me always starts off with a glass of water, sea salt, squirt of lemon, Always starts off with that. I kid you not. I literally do the same thing. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> it's the best. Not even kidding. Aaron will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Becky, my girlfriend, is always like, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, this is life. <laughs> this, I will never miss this tradition. It always happens. Uh, I always read the book of, there's a book called The Book of Awakening, which I highly recommend. It's by Mark Nepo. He's a cancer survivor and he just, he writes a quote or he shares a quote and then he shares on a, a just a really beautiful aspect of life. Quick read, maybe two to three minutes. And then has a, a meditation guide about a certain aspect of that. So I just love reading that. That's the first thing I read every morning. I was just about to start a new tradition, walking the green belt with my dog. But he just he fractured his tibial crest on July 4th, going Man. going hard like his pappy. <laughs> he's, he's what did just he do? Like, Oh, I feel bad. It was kind of my fault. He was playing all day, and uh, at the end of the night, we were lighting sparklers, and he was just like so – he loves the sparklers. He was jumping up after him, and he jumped, and he landed weird, oh. and it he fractured his tibial crest. So, oh, I feel bad. Dad just pushing him like I push myself. Hey, that's going to happen. I know, that's I know. That's how you react. That matters. <laughs> yeah, but he had, he had surgery. Um, he's doing really well, but we're letting him rest for some time. But eventually, like, my plan is to do kind of like a walking meditation with him on the green belt every morning before I, I start doing any work or getting on my phone or doing anything like that. It's really important to protect the mornings. Yeah. I literally keep my phone charging not near me. Mm. So, like, in the first hour of my day, like – meditation reading um now i've added two mile runs nice um yeah because the we have the interns in here they started last week um and obviously i'm challenging them to get out of their comfort zone and do things they're not comfortable with yeah so as a leader i got to find ways to do that shit myself um and for me like in the business end like nothing really is uncomfortable to me anymore mm -hmm. like i i kind of know like my world and i'm not afraid to converse or cold call or do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, 
but in the in physical fitness, um, I hate running, man. And I saw you do that. Why do you hate running? I I, I think a lot of it is I played soccer my whole life, and from age three to age 28, really, it was just run, 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 go fast. They do make you run long distance in soccer. And yeah, and it was just a thing. Like, I always was just running. And I think also I hate running because it reminds me of rushing. And I've been doing a lot of slowing down lately, looking up to guys like you and Shay, uh, Fayez, and with the slowing down, like it's tough for me to run and just jog and just enjoy it. Like when I run, because I'm an athlete and I like I associate running with training for the game, I just can't go easy. And like what I've been doing now this week is I challenge myself. I'm going to wake up and run two miles because one, I'm working longer hours and I don't know if I'm going to be able to like work out or run at the end of the day or get some cardio in. I'm sitting a little bit more than I normally do. But the other half was I'm challenging myself to run at a pace that isn't killing myself. So the mm. first day this week, it was nine minute, two miles. And second day was eight. And then today I did 647, two miles. But the reason I went faster today was because I woke up, felt like shit. And I was like, you know what? I feel like shit. And I, I didn't feel good because I stayed up late last night, later than I normally did. So I was like, I'm going to suffer because I chose to stay up late last night and I knew I wouldn't feel good, but I'm not going to bail out from this thing because if I bail out, then my interns can bail out. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I went about it. But for you, so we didn't get into like your career or anything um, yet. I would love to know how all the trauma and things you've gone through have helped you in personal training, real estate, every yoga, everything that you're, going after right now because I think the audience could take a lot from people think where they're at right now they're stuck Mm. we often feel we're stuck and if you listen to Zach's story like man we we covered so many topics right now in (laughs) 43 minutes yeah and you've been multiple cities multiple jobs multiple instances and you're one of the brightest bulbs of light that is here in Austin Texas right how does somebody else get to that what do you contri- what do you contribute that to? Well, it takes a lot of pain, and it it, it does take failure at times. Um, but I think the biggest thing is to tr- is to do your best to become aware of the narrative that you're telling yourself. What are the things that you are telling yourself? And sometimes you can't hear it. Sometimes it's it's on a subconscious level. But if you what's const- an example of that? Uh, for me, it was in my past, the, the types of relationships that I would enter because I don't love myself and I don't think that I'm worthy. I'm entering relationships with unfit partners or I'm being adulterous in relationships, not because I've, I met like a very, a very beautiful woman and, and the lust just took over. It's because I don't love myself. That's why I would do that. That's what I was telling myself. Maybe not blatantly in my mind where I could hear it, but clearly those are the words that I was telling myself. So I think the biggest thing is slowing down, like you said, so you can start to cultivate awareness over the things that you're telling yourself. And then practice saying good shit to yourself. I think one of the, the greatest things that also helped my recovery was doing flipping positivity where I did a backflip every single day and I shared a positive quote or a positive realization for the day because it made that the default. It made that the norm for my brain for me to be telling myself good things. So it's like if at minimum you could 
write down three to five positive things about yourself or even say it out loud even better i can't say that positivity definitely works but what i can say is that negativity and hating on yourself 1000% works <laughs> hands free if you're if you're disparaging yourself or hating on yourself that shit is going to work and it's going to manifest in behaviors that bring you to affirm the negative things that you're saying about yourself so i'd say those are the the biggest things and and the fields that i've chosen from personal training seeing people find that light in themselves to move forward in their fitness yoga seeing that light in yourself so you can move forward in your your mindfulness and your mental capabilities real estate seeing that light in yourself so you can move forward in the physical world they're all they're all related and i, I think that's the beauty of it and i'm going to stay curious and i don't know what the next thing is but i'm curious <laughs> yeah that that's amazing because i think when we we're talking about education and people diving into their feelings mm -hmm. Negative thoughts create negative actions. Positive thoughts create positive actions. And one of the things in society that I view as a really big pain point is when people have negative actions, we point fingers at them mm -hmm. rather than like, well, what led to the negative action? Mm -hmm. What's going on inside that is leading to a negative action? So like you eat poor quality foods, it's going to lead to poor quality health. Mm -hmm. Same thing with every other thought. It's not rocket science yet. So many people struggle with it. And for me, I know quarantine and, and COVID has enlightened me into the slowing down and realizing that where my time is spent, not necessarily with other people, but within my own thoughts throughout mm. the day, I was running around so much and doing so much I didn't even get to think what was positive or negative because I was running from negative. I was running from I'm in pain. My health is, I have celiac disease and I'm still struggling with that. And I don't want to talk about it because I want to live, right? Versus once the shutdown happens, I'm like, okay, this is a good time to like just feel my body because I can't go to meetings. I can't do anything. And I'm like, holy shit, I have a lot of work to do. And for anybody else out there listening Zach is a great example of this is as soon as you start listening, like you got to go to rehab and just listen to yourself rather than these external factors of I'm not worthy enough or this or that. Um, and you start filling yourself with positive words of affirmation coming from books, coming from friends, coming from podcasts, your actions start to change. So we're getting close to, to wrapping up. I'd love to move into kind of like future. Yes. What are you hopeful for in your own life moving forward? What is what does the next five years look like for Zach? Other than the obviously serving underprivileged with yoga, what does it look like? The next five years for myself, I'd say personally in the in the physical world, I wanna I wanna own property. So I am working to help others own property. I don't own property yet myself. But that's, that's definitely where I see myself going in that role. As far as anything else, you know, honestly, it's just continuing to, to grow on a daily basis. I think the focus right now is, is the yoga as well as helping in, in men's recovery world. The project I'm working on right now is 
I've just noticed, I was talking with a friend who's also in recovery, and we've noticed that there's not as many black men in recovery or in rehab centers. They're not getting as good of treatment. So state-run treatment centers are shit. They do not provide the service needed to help someone get sober. So we're working on creating a fund that will help provide men of color with scholarships to go to good rehab to get the help that they need. So I'd say that's a that's a big project that I I'm looking forward to to working on more and more, growing closer to my girlfriend, learning to be more vulnerable in my relationship with my emotions. I think vulnerability and and is something that takes practice too. So I'd say that's that's a tough area for me within my relationship. I think I'm good with the vulnerability about everything else, but where I'm still working on is is in my relationship. And and thankfully, I have an amazing partner, Becky, who... What does vulnerability in a relationship look like to you? This is such a topic that I love because well, like I've, in, in our friend group, like I'm one of the only married people. Mm-hmm. And Aaron and I we talk about our relationship constantly and it's something that, man, I was shit like five years, mm-hmm. not even three years ago compared to where I'm at right now. And it's tough for me to be vulnerable to other people because it's like, well, it's not on the same level, but I'd love to know from your perspective and then other males out there, it's tough being vulnerable around yeah. like, damn, I've been shitty to my significant other at times. That's not cool. How do I fix it? But for you, what does that vulnerability look like? It's, it's communicating needs. Honestly, I think sometimes you can just say, Oh yeah, yeah. Or you don't really want to deal with it. But I think it's important that both partners are communicating their needs clearly and that they're, they're honored and that their feelings are honored. You know, if, if you don't feel right about something or something makes you feel off, I think it's important that you communicate that. And that's something, you know, I, I have a people-pleasing tendency, which, yes, I get along with, with pretty much everybody, but I that's, that's not a realistic way to go through the world. It's just trying to please everyone. I cannot, everything that I do cannot be bent on pleasing Becky or making her happy. You know, there's times where I'm going to share things or share feelings that I have that are not going to make her super happy. And that's, that's tough. You know, so I don't want to, I don't want to hurt her, but it's also, I think it's more hurtful for me to be deceitful. And I, I do use the word deceitful because obscuring the truth is the same thing as not telling the truth in my mind. That's amazing. I want to re-listen to that right now. <laughs> and that's something that I think I can relate to a lot, especially in previous relationships, because like I'm an argumentative person. I say what I think. And what I realized in like other relationships was I wasn't always saying like what I thought. I just went with the flow a little bit um, more. And in the relationship now, I love how you say opening up about your needs and like the way that I think about that is like expectation management. So like setting the expectation and for me, like a good example is like today, right? Some of our friends are going skateboarding after and old me would have just said, yeah, I'm in. Right. But new me was like, well, Aaron might be thinking of something that she wanted to do with me later and have this preconceived notion that that's what we're doing because I haven't communicated to her yet. So the first thing I do is like, Hey, 
like, how do I be inclusive in this? Like, can I go skateboarding? It's at a park. Like you can do your run for an hour and I can skateboard and then we can hang out afterwards. So it's like including her in that expectation. And I've learned over the years that just doing that alone is really all that other human beings want. Yeah, because be then she can say, you know what, like, go ahead or do whatever. I'll do my run or I'll get on the Peloton. But at least I thought of her in that this happened at like noon rather than just saying yes and be like, I'm going to do this. I brought her into that expectation. That was one of the hardest things for like me to learn as a male because we're independent indiv individuals. Yes. And it's just like, my brain isn't just why, like even when I grew up, like I did everything myself. Mm -hmm. I had great parents, but like I cooked, I cleaned. I, I just wanted to be independent. I don't know why, but it hurt a lot of my other relationships. And then with this marriage, I realized, wow, this is like, we have to be one mm -hmm. for this to work. And I, I'm going to have to say things that necessarily you might not like, but I've, I've learned that if I do what I just did earlier, I can kind of like get, I can prevent having to say things that I don't like to say because she just knows things as they're coming and going. I don't know if you've experienced this at all or. Yeah, you just, well, it's, the more you communicate, the more you can you can get on the same level. Because you you talked about that men were very independent. We love being able to do our own thing. You know, this is my first time living with a significant other, so it's been a major major adjustment for me. And I'm learning that a lot of my thoughts and feelings or issues that I have issues that I oftentimes have with her are are my own problems. I'll give you an example. The other day, she made a beautiful meal for me for us and I'm like very particular about how things are cooked because I worked <laughs> in restaurants. Yeah. I was a restaurant manager for, for a long time. She made this beautiful meal and in my mind, I'm starting to think about the fucking onions and how they're cut. <laughs> and I was, about to, I was about to say something. I was about to say like, hey, could you like slice the onions thinner next time? And I was like, before I said that, because I, I try to slow down, it was just like, oh, that's clearly a me problem there. That's a 100% me problem, a very selfish focus, a very pointed focus on something that has nothing to do with this amazing offering and this really loving act that she did that I would just go ahead and pinpoint on one small thing, you know? So, um, yeah, just talking about things like that. Just I, I, I'll have that I've had that conversation with her where I talk about the dumb shit that goes through my mind sometimes. But like the more we have those conversations, like the more we come to know each other. And you don't let it fester. And that's one of the things like, man, I can relate to the food thing. Literally a couple of days ago, um, I walked in the door and so like we make smoothies in the morning and I come into the door and like I'm doing something and then she's making a smoothie at night. And like the first thing that comes to mind is like, why is she having another smoothie? Like what? And then I'm like, I didn't even, I didn't say it, but old me would maybe voice it. And I was just like, why does it even matter? Like, <laughs> yeah, why did that cares? thought even come? And then another one was literally last night. I had stayed a little bit at the office a little bit too long and I was wired and I wanted to get this piece of content out and I'm editing and she's upstairs and I thought she said one thing because I was like half listening and then she said something completely different and I had like kind of snapped at her, not snapped in being like super aggressive or anything. Just been like, like whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, like be quiet. I'm trying to do something. Yeah. And then it had to do with something completely different. And then I reflect and I'm just like, well, if I hadn't 
stayed too late and then done this and and then it bottled up to that. So then I'm very conscious now of those things happen and we're all human. We all fail. The thing that I ask of people is like, I reflected on that was like, wow, like I need to get more sleep tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. And then also end my day a little bit sooner and have some, do something fun. And that's where, where the skateboarding came in. So like what I've also found is when I did that yesterday and that happened yesterday, immediately the next day, how do I change it? Like, how do I reverse that tendency? Because again, going back to the compound interest we had talking earlier of negative versus positive, mm-hmm. old me just let the negative keep piling up. So today I would get annoyed and do the same thing versus today I'm immediately erasing the even chance of, mm-hmm. of that happening and being like, hey, I'm going to be inclusive. Let's go do this yeah. or try this and stuff like that. But man, I could talk to you forever about so many different things. Part two? Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think what I want to do is once you get into the jail, mm-hmm. whether it's in the next year, two years, three years, you're going to come back on and yeah. I want to hear how um, – you're changing that that space because that's it's really intriguing to me and you're educating in a way that is curious mm-hmm. and I don't think a lot of people out there are doing so and I'd love to help at whatever capacity it is but before we go yes is there any last parting words you'd like to say to anybody listening out there after everything that we just discussed yes well I just want to say in regards to kind of what's going on in the world right now I think a lot of people are on edge right now. I think the world is heavy right now. Uh, I mean, there's there's no way to minimize it. We're not as connected. We, we don't get to see as many people. We don't get to feel community. So um, I've seen people react in ways that are not themselves. I was driving on 360 Highway, and I saw two grown men about to fight on the side of the road. So that's my invitation to everyone is to just be aware and just to honor yourselves that, yes, this is a really tough time and there's a lot to process with the news and with politics and with the fight for, you know, erasing systemic racism and oppression. This is a lot. It's, it's almost impossible for your brain to handle this amount of trauma. So just give yourself some compassion, give yourself some space and slow down. I love that. And I think I've I've been reflecting lately and just saying like whatever happens in this next six months to a year to two years is like one thing I've been saying to myself is like go easy. Like go easy, take the pedal off the metal because I'm the guy that just flies and go easy on other people, go easy on like what people are posting, go easy. I'm still going to say my opinion, but just letting things go a little bit more. And that's why I ordered that book, Letting Go. <laughs> that Zach, you, you read, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So incredible I, book. I heard it on a podcast somewhere and I was like, this is exactly what I need right now. It's just like, how do I just let go? Mm-hmm. Let let people do dumb shit or, or say things that they might not mean and like not pass judgment in this moment because I don't know what's going on in their house, mm-hmm. at home, on the street whatever's happening because this just isn't this is like a petri dish of life it's not what life is going to be and it's not a good representation of a lot of human beings out there Um, and I just want to do my best to be in the petri dish and just help us get outside of it Um, so thank you for saying that how does the audience get in contact with you it's the best way to reach you I would say Instagram so my Instagram handle is Zaquarius, Z-A-C-Q-U-A 
R-I-U-S. And I'm very responsive on there. I always offer myself honestly to anybody. If you're dealing with anything, I will, I will help anybody, literally anybody. If there's any way that I can assist you in your journey in any way, even if that's just wanting to talk about something that's going on in your life, I'm there for you. 100% I mean that. Awesome. So you heard it from Zach himself. Reach him at Zaquarius on Instagram. He's a man of his word. His stories are a blast to watch. I'm missing those rapping videos, dude. Like oh, the Friday man, last I week. Need to bring it Maybe, back. I mean, <laughs> next on the next podcast, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Um, but no, it, if there's one thing that stood out to me during this episode, again, it was the word curiosity. I think it's something that all of us out there can do a better job of. And what I want you to think about right now is where can you be curious in things that might take some courage? So whether that's your relationship, whether that's uh, stepping into the Black Lives Matter movement, understanding more. Right now I'm reading uh, Martin Luther King's autobiography and I'm taking a lot from that. I'm reading, also reading the book, Letting Go. Those two things are uncomfortable to me. So how do you use your curiosity to step into something uncomfortable? And then whatever you learn there, share that with other people just like Zach did today. So step into that courage and don't be afraid to share your story because what you did yesterday does not define who you are today. It's literally a choice when you wake up, just like he was saying with that flip and positivity. That could be any one of us. So whatever you're thinking of in your head right now does not need to happen. You can wake up tomorrow and become one inch closer to being the human being that you want. So thank you again, Zach, for hopping on the show today. Thank you. Thank I appreciate you, so much, you. CJ. and I'm looking forward to everything that's to come in your life and everybody around you. But this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on y'all. What's up, y'all? This is CJ again. On behalf of our small team behind the scenes and myself, thank you so much for listening to another one of our Thrive on Life episodes. The time you spend with us is very much appreciated. As mentioned before the show, our mission is always to help those around us get better. We fully understand that we can go so much further in life together as a team, and we'd love to have you be a part of it. So if you're interested in joining our community, please head to thriveonlife.com and join our Mighty Network. Within this network, you will find a diverse group of people that is on a mission of self-improvement. Within each improvement we make as individuals, we can then be of service to this world and help it get better as a whole. What's awesome is we've already had people make new friends, receive job offers, and collaborate on new business and creative opportunities. But most importantly, within this group, you will be guaranteed the ability to learn, grow, and share experiences with other like-minded individuals. This aspect is critical to our world becoming a better place for everyone, and we are proud of our group because it represents this. For other updates on the podcast community and business, please join our weekly mailing list. We'd love to hear from you. And before I leave you, I'd like you to always remember one thing. When we strive together, we thrive together. So please do your part in helping others thrive on life.